Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. Open, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. Today, we'll round out our series titled The Seven Letters to the Churches as we look at the last church that Jesus addresses, the church at Laodicea, the church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 14. Revelation 3:14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this: I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and I've become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church at Laodicea. Here in the book of Revelation, we have seven churches, seven letters, and seven possible points of application. Let me just review those for one minute here. In Ephesus, this was your orthodox, hardworking, fundamentalist type of church. The problem with the church at Ephesus is they didn't have love. And so Jesus' message to them and to us is love. In Smyrna, this was your persecuted church in a very difficult area. They were ridiculed, they were slandered, they were impoverished, and yet they were spiritually rich, according to Jesus. So to them and to us, Jesus says, be faithful. In Pergamum, this was your ungrounded church. They were faithful, they had a passionate witness, but they had compromised with the world and the things of the world. And so to them and to us, Jesus says, be discerning. In Thyatira, this was your warm-hearted liberal church. They were warm in love, 
even in service to one another, but they undervalued doctrine and moral purity. They were loving, but they were over-tolerant. And to Jesus, Jesus says to them and to us, think in Sardis. This was your flashy, successful, shallow megachurch. Perhaps a church that was full each Sunday, but they were full with nominal Christians. At best, they had a great reputation. But in reality, Jesus said, you guys are dead. To them and to us, Jesus says, wake up. In Philadelphia, this was your small church. They felt weak. They felt unimpressive. But they had held fast to the word of God and had not denied the name of Christ. So to them and to us, Jesus says, press on. Here we have the church at Laodicea. This is your ritzy, influential church in a nice part of town. They were comfortable and they thought that they had it all together. But listen to this. They were as spiritually poor as they were materially rich. They thought they cut it all together, but Jesus shows them something else. They were full of affluence, but they were also full of apathy. And so to them and to us, Jesus says this, be zealous and repent. Out of the seven churches that Jesus addresses here, Laodicea is probably the worst. And there have been some bad ones already. Remember, Ephesus was on the verge of ceasing to be a church, but yet they had good things about them. Sardis was called dead by Jesus, but remember, they had a remnant among them that had remained faithful. Laodicea is so bad, they make Jesus sick. They make Jesus want to puke. So we must consider the warning of Jesus here because out of the seven churches that are addressed, FBC Keller and those of us who make up this fellowship probably most closely aligns to the demographics and to the situation that we find in the Laodicean church. The church that had it most comfortable and most prosperous is the church that got it the most wrong. So let us have an ear and listen. Here's the key truth that we'll see today. The Lord Jesus is nauseated by the proud, but intimate with the humble. The Lord Jesus is nauseated by the proud, but intimate with the needy. Let's look back in verse 14. Uh, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Now, you know, if you've been listening to this sermon series that Jesus begins his address to each one of these churches with a short but important introduction about his nature. And here what we see Jesus doing is really restating an introduction that we find in Revelation 1, verse 5. There, the introduction from John says this, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. So Jesus says to that, amen. He doesn't say, he doesn't give it an amen. He says, I am that amen. I am that validation of all of God's promises. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ is the validation of every promise of God. And he wants to lay out a sea in church to know that. He has that type of authority. Then he says, I am the faithful and true witness. Now we know there can be a couple types of witnesses, right? Witnesses to an event. There may be a witness who knows the truth, but doesn't show up to tell the truth. They're not very faithful. And yet on the other hand, we can have a kind of witness that shows up, but doesn't tell the truth. And Jesus says he is both faithful to proclaim the truth and and to know it. So he is the faithful and true witness, not only to all things, but specifically to the issues that the Laodicean church had. And then he says this, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now we have to be very careful here. Jesus is not saying, I was the first one that was created. We know that Jesus uh, is God. Therefore, he is eternal. He was not created. Here, we believe that Jesus is really calling um, into account the new creation. That just like it teaches in the book of Colossians, that he is the firstborn from the dead. That is, in his resurrection, that instituted the new covenant and the new creation. And so when Jesus says here that he is the beginning of the creation, it could also say he is the ruler of the new creation. Of course, he's ruler over all creation, but specifically here of making all things new. And brothers and sisters, let me give us some encouragement today from the word of God. Jesus is making all things new. What we see in our world that is broken and that is falling apart and that is decaying before our eyes is not outside of the sovereign hand of the ruler of the new creation who's making all things new. And we see that in our lives, don't we? When we're born again, he starts that process of making us into a new creation. And we know clearly every day we haven't made it yet. We're not totally new yet. He's making us new. It's this constant process. He is the beginning of the creation of God, the new creation. He is the Lord Jesus. And so we are put on notice. The Laodiceans are put on notice here. This ruler is not to be put on the shelf. He's not to be treated casually. His authority is absolute. His love is holy and he will not be taken for granted. The Lord Jesus is nauseated by the proud. Look at it in verse 15. Jesus says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm 
and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This church makes Jesus sick. Now Jesus explains their condition through this odd to us kind of an explanation, talking about hot water and cold water. And maybe you grew up in a church or have heard it taught like I had that, well, what Jesus was saying here is that these believers were neither hot, so they weren't passionate for the Lord. They weren't on fire for Jesus, but they also were not cold. They were not turned off to the things of God. And Jesus, in some way, is saying that he wishes they were one or or the other, that you were either on fire for the Lord or totally turned off. Jesus doesn't want anybody down the middle of the road. Some have said what Jesus is saying here is he has more use for an uncommitted non-Christian than a lukewarm Christian. The problem with that is that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the point he is making. He says that he wishes that they were cold or hot. So it's unconscionable that Jesus would ever wish that any of his beloved sheep, the ones that he died for, would be totally turned off to the things of God. Jesus would never say that. Instead here, he's speaking right to the heart of the Laodiceans. They would have seen with crystal clarity exactly the point that Jesus was making. And here's what was happening. Just to the north of Laodicea was a a city called Hierapolis. And that city was known for its hot mineral springs. People in that region would travel there and use these springs for medicinal purposes. Then on the other side of Laodicea is a city we're familiar with, Colossae. And in that city, they were, it was known that this large torrent of water came out of the mountains up above Colossae and would run down toward the city. So people from that city would go to this torrent of water, this fresh, cool, refreshing water and uh, fetch their water from that stream for drinking and for cooking. And Laodicea is right in the middle. And they didn't have good water. We're told that they had to pipe their water in from a long distance away. And it wasn't very good water to begin with. So this city was already known for its tepid water. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. Your spiritual condition is just like your water. It's gross. It's not useful for anything. It makes me sick. Now, what was nauseating Jesus about this church? Look in verse 17. He clearly tells us what the problem was. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Once again, they're just like their city. Uh, this city was a leading city in the valley. It was at a major crossroads and it was a thoroughfare for a lot of trade. They were very prosperous. In fact, remember last week, Brother Keith mentioned about the church in Philadelphia 
that there was a time where these cities in Asia Minor experienced a very significant earthquake. And Philadelphia had built these outposts to try to protect themselves further from these earthquakes. Well, Philadelphia, when they, their city was broken because of this earthquake, they received help from Rome to build back their city. Laodicea experiencing the same earthquake, you know what they told Rome? Hey, we've got this. We don't need your help. So they rebuilt their city on their own and secular history tells us this. They put an inscription on all of their rebuilt buildings that said this, we are our own benefactor, we have no need. So Jesus is telling the church, you have become just like your city, not in the way that you're building buildings, but in the way you see your spiritual condition. You are saying, because we're rich, because we're wealthy, God, we don't need you. We've got this. We're good. We can handle these things on our own. But Jesus knows their true spiritual condition. Look at the end of verse 17. He says, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They are in fact spiritual beggars, bagavons, and they don't even know it. And it is not their true spiritual condition that's so revolting to Jesus. Did you hear that? It's not their wretchedness that's so revolting to Jesus. It's not their blindness that's so revolting to Jesus. It's the fact that they're not even mature enough to recognize it as his children. They don't even see it. Can I just be honest with you for a minute? I hope this is okay. There are times as a church staff and pastors that we sit around a table, we look at each other and we say, we don't know what to do. We don't have this. We, we are in need here. We don't, and there's the temptation, right? Because that's a vulnerable place to be, to be in a place where you can't do it all. You can't put it all together. We want to think, hey, we have the people. We have some financial resources set aside. We have, we've got this. Look, we have to be honest with ourselves. We don't have this. We are totally dependent upon the Lord. And that's the point that Jesus wants the Laodicean church to get to, is this point that they don't have it all together. They were materially rich, but spiritually poor. You all know the Bible has a lot to say about the deceitfulness of riches. We know that scripture never teaches that being rich or having financial resources in and of themselves are wrong. There are plenty of people throughout the scripture who were very materially rich and they were also spiritually rich. But in the New Testament specifically, we see a lot of these warnings. 1 Timothy 3.17 says this, as for the riches of this present age, I'm sorry, as for the rich of this present age, 
charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Look, it's okay to want safety and to want security and desire for the needs of our children to be taken care of. And and Jesus and the Lord says here, look, I care about those things too. Just don't look for those things in money because that's a broken cistern that will leak and will leave you with none of those things. Instead, look for that safety and security that only can be found in the Lord. If you remember the parable of the soils, the one seed that was sown among the thorny ground in Matthew 13, it says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. That's the case with the church at Laodicea. They were not producing fruit. They were not being much used to the Lord Jesus and building his kingdom. Therefore, he desired to spit them out. That's the case in the life of our church as well, in our lives individually. If we buy into the culture's lie of self-sufficiency, we are committing the sin of pride And that sin will choke out any ability for us to be useful to the Lord and his kingdom. So may we respond in humility instead of pride. Jesus tells them what they need to do. Let's look at it, verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, white garments so that you can clothe yourselves, and high salve to anoint your eyes. Again, Jesus is speaking right to their hearts. Laodicea was a banking center in that region. They had a lot of gold. Uh, Laodicea was known for its textile manufacturing and its uh, uh, flocks of sheep and wool. And so Jesus says, look, you have a lot of gold. You have a lot of nice clothes. They had a medical school in Laodicea. You can guess what they were known for, healing blind people with eye salve. So again, Jesus is speaking very personally to these people and saying, look, you have a lot of gold. You wear nice clothes. You can help those who are physically blind, but you need to see the spiritual condition. What you need, Jesus tells them and tells us, can only come from me. What we truly need can only come from the Lord. And to seek for those things in other places, Jesus says, is foolishness. He says you need spiritual riches. You need the clothes of righteousness. You need to have your eyes open once again to see your true condition. So Jesus uses here in Laodicea, a deliberate contrast between the church at Smyrna and the church at Laodicea. Smyrna suffered, was materially poor, but was regarded by Jesus as spiritually wealthy. Laodicea, on the other hand, was materially wealthy, 
but spiritually poor. Thus, despite their banks, they were beggars. Despite their famous high salve, they were blind. Despite their prosperous clothing factories, they were naked. Jesus wanted to spit them out. But praise God, that's not the end of the story, right? He is nauseated by the proud, but he's intimate with the needy. Look at this in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he will me, he with me. Here's the incredible truth about Jesus' love for his church. He still loves his people. He still loves them. Remember, they are his children. They are his church. They are the ones who he died for. And even in the midst of gross sin, the kind of sin that made Jesus nauseated, his love for his children is still there and is still strong. Isn't this sort of the opposite of what we would expect? We would think Jesus deserves better than this. Jesus deserves better than this. There are other churches out there, like the church at Philadelphia, who's small and seemingly weak, and yet they're being faithful. Why wouldn't Jesus just let this church at Laodicea die out and use these churches who are being faithful? Because that's not who Jesus is. He loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep. He says here, I love you enough to call you out on this, to rebuke you and to call you to be zealous and to repent. As a sign that he's not finished with them, he gives them three things here that we'll see at the end, a command, an invitation, and a promise. The command is clear in verse 19. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Be earnest, Jesus says. Be serious. See the reality with clarity and respond in repentance, in confessing your need, in turning away from this self-sufficiency and expressing total dependence upon the Lord. He says to them, be zealous and repent. That's the command. Now, the invitation is seen right there in verse 20. A verse that's been taken out of context. Maybe here's another one you've heard used at evangelistic rallies saying, Jesus is standing at the door of a lost person's soul and he's knocking on the door. And if you'll just open the door and let Jesus in, he'll come in and save you. Well, there's a couple problems with that approach, with that hermeneutical method. Number one being, Jesus here is talking to believers. He's talking to the church, not lost people. And number two, we know that that's not how salvation works. Jesus cannot be seen as this poor beggar standing outside the door of the soul of an unbeliever needing a place to go and begging to come in. No, when Jesus saves a lost person, he comes in and he saves them and he gives them new life. 
and they begin to follow. So what Jesus is doing here is inviting his church back. Hey, Jesus says, look, I haven't gone anywhere. We've lost communion. We've lost intimacy in this relationship between the church and Christ. And Jesus says, the reason that we've lost that is not because I've gone anywhere. I haven't moved away. I am still right here. And if you'll open the door, if you'll invite me to come into your soul once again in repentance and faith, he says, not only will I come in, but I will dine with you. Jesus says, I'll sit down at this intimate level with you and share a meal and share closeness and share intimacy. And this is the way that uh, we talk about communion with Christ. Theologically, there are two main parts to our communion with Christ. There's number one, our union with Christ. Our union with Christ happens at the point of our salvation. At the point that we are justified by Christ, we are united with him. We are in Christ. And that truth never changes. Jesus says no one can pluck you out of my hand, right? We are Christ. We are united with him. But the second point of our a union or communion with Christ, our intimacy with Christ, is that communion. It's that personal relationship that at times can ebb and flow, right? It's sort of like a marriage. You're either married or you're not. But those of us who are married, we know this, that the intimacy, the closeness of that relationship can ebb and flow, Sometimes if we're in the throes of having young children and we're dealing with this and going to these places and we're busy and before we know it, we can look at each other and say, man, it's been a long time since we've just sat down and talked and related and had that intimacy and that closeness with one another. So that's what Jesus is saying here. Intimacy with Jesus is still accessible for them. What an incredible truth. Jesus is saying, on one hand, your sin, your self-centeredness makes me want to puke, but I want to come over for dinner, right? But I want to come in. I desire this closeness, be zealous and repent. That's the invitation. Now look at the promise in closing. Verse 21, he who overcomes I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus says, look, church of Laodicea, look, FBC Keller, listen. The time for you to have authority is coming. If you persevere, If you overcome, Jesus says, you will sit down with me on my throne. We will reign with Christ. We will have the power and the authority of Christ within us. We don't have it yet. We're still weak. We're still needy. And so at this point, Jesus says, be zealous and repent. 
FBC Keller, I love this place. I love you all. We're a good church. We've been incredibly blessed by God throughout our history, but we should consider these things. We have ears, so let us hear, let us heed what Jesus has said through these letters to the seven churches. Maybe some of us are from Ephesus. We love doctrine, but when is the last time you've shared your faith or had a warmth of affection and love for Jesus? Maybe some of us are from Pergamum or Thyatira, eager and zealous, but not discerning and mistaking love for unconditional affirmation. Maybe some of us are like those in Sardis, Christians in name only, who need to wake up before it's too late. Maybe some of us are like those in Smyrna or Philadelphia this morning. Maybe you're weak. Maybe you're struggling. And you need to know all that the Lord has promised to keep you going. Press on and persevere in the faith. Maybe some of us are like these in Laodicea. Apathetic, indifferent. We go to church, we punch our time clock. Tony better know, in five minutes we've got to be done. And then we go on with the rest of our week. Like we don't need anything from the Lord. I don't know what city you may feel most closely aligned with, but we need to hear. We need to listen. We need to understand that Jesus is the one who is in full authority, who has all power. We should submit to his lordship. We should be zealous and repent. We're needy people and he is our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, uh, words and letters to churches that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And yet, Lord, we see clearly things in our own lives individually and even the life of our church corporately that we need to listen to, that we need to be aware of. And maybe, Lord, we need to repent and to turn, to recognize the reality and to come back to you knowing that you are our loving Savior who seeks to come in and restore that close, intimate relationship that we so desperately need to be used by you in building your kingdom. And Lord, I would pray if there'd be somebody here today and they've never seen clearly their spiritual condition, that they are lost, that they are a sinner. And because they are lost and sinner, they have sinned against you, a holy God, that they are guilty, but that in your perfect plan at the right time, you sent Christ to be the substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross for their sin. That if they will repent and believe in those truths and have faith in Christ alone, today can be the day of their salvation. 
Lord, we ask that your spirit would move among us even now as we consider these truths. Press them deep into our souls. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.